Please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John. We're going to look at uh, a message that uh, I've entitled this morning, Faith. It's about relationships. You know, as we, as we think about what John, and we've spent a lot of time the last few weeks working through John's first epistle. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the third chapter, and most of what John deals with in the third chapter is, is something we could sum up in the phrase, faith is love. And, and the reason that John wrote so much to this recipient church about love is because it was the example of the New Testament church living out its love or its faith in love that was such a great witness. I mean, it was their ability uh, to take, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, to take Jews and Gentiles and Pharisees and, and, and tax collectors and rich and poor and slave and free. It was the ability to take all of these different people from all these different walks of life, educated, uneducated, whatever it was, and put them together in a real and genuine way that love caused the world to take notice. And it was that love, as they lived out their faith in love, that led to such a great harvest. And so John comes in here and he starts focusing and, and he's wanting these people, this church, and this letter was written specific, specifically to a church, probably uh, the church at Ephesus that John pastored. Okay, That's probably who it was written to. And, and he writes it because he wants them to understand the importance of living out love, of living out your faith. Faith is love. And love is not a feeling. Love is an action. And John talks about that. We've looked and we talked about, remember, doctrine, getting the idea, the understanding first. And when I get the right understanding and doctrine, thought, then it leads to action, my acting in the right way. Foundation leads to action. That's what John's talked about. And I believe we are living in a world today where where the living out of our faith is going to become more and more important. I mean, we, we are going to begin, I think, in this country to understand what people go through all around the world. We're going to begin to understand, I think, in, in days ahead, what it means to be persecuted for our faith. Now, that may happen in my lifetime. It may not happen in my lifetime. I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I'm not telling you. I just see things that I believe are leading us more and more uh, where we are moving away from the things of faith in our country and moving towards the things of the world. And as our country does that, as we eliminate the things of faith and move towards the things of the world in this country, it is going to become more and more important for you and I to truly understand what it means to live out our faith in a, in a way that, that glorifies God. So we're going to look at that this morning. Faith it's about relationships. If you have your Bibles open there to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, if you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Beginning verse 16, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but shuts off his compassion from him, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love in word or speech but in deed and truth. That is how we know we are of the truth and will convince our hearts in his presence because if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. Would you please pray with me? Father, I ask you in these next few moments just to, to speak to my heart. Uh, God, to use the, the study and the preparation that, that uh, you led me to put in this week just to share your message of truth. 
Father, I, I do pray for revival. I pray that you, God, whatever that looks like, uh, that you would begin to revive my heart. And, and God, that you would speak uh, to this church uh, in, in power and in might. Your word is true. Uh, God, may we hear it this morning as truth. And God, may everything that takes place, uh, may everything that has taken place up to this point and takes place from this point forward glorify and honor you as Messiah. You are the Holy One. You are God and there is no other. Your Son, Jesus Christ, is your only begotten, never to be duplicated, one and only Son. As Father, may He be exalted today. May the Holy Spirit have our attention and may Your Word speak its truth into our life. God, I ask You to use me as Your servant to glorify and exalt Jesus Christ. And it's in His name today that we pray. Amen couple things that this passage teaches us about our faith, about our love, and about the expression of our faith and love. And, and the first thing that, that uh, this passage challenges us with is, is that true faith is not indifferent. Look at verse 16 and 17. This is how we have come to know love. He, Christ, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but shuts off his compassion from him, how can God's love reside in him? Now, John is writing to the church, and basically what he says is love, true love, true faith, faith is love, and true faith prompts us, causes us, pushes us to act. Love is action. We are not saved by our acts, by our works, but if I have the faith of Jesus Christ or faith in Christ, guiding me in principle and everything that I do, that faith that I have in Christ will prompt me, move me to act. And the example that John says is Christ, who laid down his life for us. Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but humbled himself, being found in likeness as a man, humbled himself, taking on the appearance of a man, becoming as a servant, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death upon a cross. That is who Jesus Christ is. He gave his life for us. And that becomes the example, John says, that is used to teach us what we ought to, or show us that we learn from, that ought to be the model of our lives. He laid down his life for us. I ought to be laying down my life for somebody else. And that phrase, to lay down your life, means to invest in. It means even to the point of discomfort, or even to the point of, of, of struggle on my part that I elevate the needs of others that I see that are legitimate needs. I elevate the needs of others and I give sacrificially into their life so that Jesus Christ can be exalted. That I look and, and, and go through that process of laying down. And John writes this as an aorist, a Greek verb, uh, aorist, active infinitive. And, and basically what it means is, is this is something that should have taken place in the life of the believer. Eris, past tense, the laying down of a life, it should have taken place. And it's an infinitive. It's like putting I-N-G on the end of a word, speaking. He spoke and he is speaking. It continues. It's something that has happened, a moment where I began to invest my life in others, and it is something that is the continuous practice of my life. It continues throughout uh, present and future. Okay, I, I did it, and I'm doing it. That's what John writes. And then he says, he moves into verse 17, and what he says in verse 17 there is, if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but shuts off his compassion from him, how can God's 
love residing in me. If you and I have the ability of the world, okay, and, and, and the world's goods can be financial means, it could be the ability to hire somebody, uh, employ them in your, your place of business, it could be, um, uh, you know, a, a place of, of, of residence, it could be a lot of different ways. If we have the world's goods, and we see, identify a legitimate need in our, and, and this is particularly talking about the body of Christ, okay? We identify a legitimate need in a brother or sister in Christ, and we shut up our bowels, okay? That, that's really what it means. We close off. We just say, I, I have no compassion on you. I have the ability to meet the need, and, and I see it as a legitimate need, but I am just not even going to be moved with compassion to help you. John says, how in the world could you and I even say, that we're a believer in Jesus Christ when that's our attitude. You and I have been called to invest into the lives of others. We, we've been called to, 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 to make sure that the best interests, to, to seek, to elevate the best interests of others, even when it costs us deeply or even when it might lead to my discomfort, that I put aside my own rights. I put aside myself and say your rights, your ability, your standing, your need becomes more important to that point in my life. And my faith leads me or produces this attitude of sacrificially giving into the lives of others. Now, if I'm going to sacrificially give into the lives of others, there are some things that that means I have to be engaged in. First of all, I have to be engaged enough in your life and you engage enough in my life that we can share legitimate needs and that we can identify legitimate needs and that we can discern legitimate needs. This is an area in my life, man, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'll be real honest with you, I've been doing this for 32 years. I struggle, okay, because I'm, I'm by nature a cynical person, okay, and, and, and so sometimes people come and say, man, I have a need, I struggle, Okay, I'm like, yeah, do you really have an need or are you just being stupid with what God has given you? Okay, but, but the word of God says my job is not to be cynical. My job is if I have the means, meet the need. This is an area where God has really been working on my heart lately. And, 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 and see, it's real easy for me. Somebody comes in and says, hey, I need some money for gas. I need some money for electric bill. It's real easy for me to be real generous with your money. Okay, it really is. But what the Lord's been saying is, Brewer, you got that in your pocket. Yeah, Lord, but I'm a steward of the church's money. Yeah, Brewer, but you're a steward of what I've given you too. And so God's been working on me, and he's just, I mean, I'm just telling you honestly, the last three or four weeks, it, it's been this deal of, man, I just pull out my wallet, and I just hand people cash. And, and you know what? What they do with it, that's on them. That's not on me. I'm, I'm, I'm really honestly, to the best of my ability, trying to seek God in those areas. And if I've got cash in my wallet and somebody says, I need $20 for gas, I give them $20. What they do with it, that's on them. And, and, and that's what the Spirit is saying here through John is that if I have the ability and I'm able to discern that it's a legitimate need, then I meet it. But I also have to be able to discern that it's a legitimate need. And that means that I have to be engaged with you and you have to be engaged with me that we can be honest with each other. See, honestly, what I believe happens most of the time in churches is we come into these places, this building, and we worship as a church, but we don't worship as a church. We don't worship in community. We worship as individuals. And, and we come in and we put on this mask. How are you today? I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. No, you're not. Your kids are hurting. Your grandkids, maybe you're hurting. Maybe there's an illness. Maybe there's a disease. Maybe you're struggling financially. 
Maybe you've lost your job and you don't know how to tell anybody that. Maybe, maybe you're embarrassed. Maybe something's happened and, and you're struggling. And you come in and, and, and somebody says, how are you? You say, I'm fine. But inside your spirit is saying, I hurt. Somebody betrayed me. Somebody did something to me. I'm, I'm upset. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm angry. And we don't love each other enough. And we're not engaged with each other enough in community to trust. And so what we do is we share prayer requests. I cut my thumb. Pray for me. That's not a prayer request. That's a, that's a Neil Sporn request. I, I told the early service, I am so ready for Laurie to be able to get back on her feet full time. I'm tired of going to the grocery store. I'm tired of cooking. Okay? I can't tell you how many Band-Aids and Neil Sporn we've gone through the last three weeks with me cooking. My thumbs and fingers just get in the way of knives. It just, you know, I'm, I'm so ready. But that's not a prayer request. But that's, what, that's about the level that a lot of us get to. We're hurting. And we ought to be able to say to one another in a genuine way, pray for this. Pray for me. Pray with me. And connect it enough to the word of God that we hear what God is saying and that we are engaged enough in each other's lives that, that, that we, we are able to discern those needs and meet those needs. How many of you know who Marshawn Lynch is? He's a running back for the Seattle Seahawks, okay? He led them to the Super Bowl two years ago, um, you know, and, and led them again this year to the Super Bowl. He had 17 TDs, 1,300 yards rushing this past year, but he is notorious for not talking to the media. He hates the media, okay? And, and he won't talk to them, even gets fined a lot for what he does. And some of you may have seen some of his news conferences this year. Last year, uh, in 2014, when the uh, Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, he just didn't show up for media day. And because of that, the NFL fined him $100,000. It's in their contract. They show up, they talk to the media. So this year, he was like, I'm not coming again. And they said, well, this year we're going to find you half a million, 500000 And so he showed up. I don't know if any of you saw his press conference, but what he did, he walked in. They have to be there. They have to give five minutes. He walked in in front of these hundreds of reporters that are there to interview him because he has to be there. He took out his cell phone. He put his stopwatch on five minutes, laid it down, and hit start. And then he took questions, and there were over 30 questions that they shot at him. You know, what do you think the game plan is going to be? How many yards are you going to rush for? How many touchdowns? And to every question that they asked him for the next five minutes, over 30 questions, his answer was this, I'm just here. Here, so I won't get fined. How many patches are you going to catch? I'm just here, so I won't get fined. How many carries are you going to have? I'm just here, so I won't get fined. You think you're going to win, or are the Patriots going? I'm just here, so I won't get fined. And when his stopwatch hit five minutes, he hit the button, stopped, said, "Time, I'm out." Got up and left. And that was his interview that he conducted for Media Day for the Super Bowl. Now we laugh at that, but the honest truth is, for a lot of us, we are that same way about our faith. I'm just here today so I won't get fined. I just give my tithe so God doesn't find me. I just teach in Sunday school, working team kids, sing in the choir, serve as a deacon. I'm just here so I don't get fined. We're here more out of fear than we are out of the fact that the life-changing grace of Jesus Christ has made a difference in our life and we miss so much of what God wants because we're just here because we don't want to get fined. I don't want God to done me. So I'm just here to check the box. 
really not here for God to speak. God really doesn't have anything to say to me. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Faith is not indifferent. True faith is engaged. Now, the second thing that this passage teaches us is that true faith also gives us assurance. You look at verse 17, John continues writing, and this is what he says. I mean, verse 18, little children, we must not love in word or speech, but in deed and truth. And this is how we will know that we are of the truth and will convince our hearts in his presence. Because if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Remember, we started this a few weeks ago, doctrine, true doctrine, foundation, True foundation, solid foundation leads to practice. And what John has said through these last few weeks and continues to say today is this, for a while I can fake it. You know there's that old saying, fake it till you make it? Okay, for a while I can fake it in the faith. But the reality is if I start right, the consistent, genuine practice of my life will reveal itself to be true that God is Lord of my life. There might be times where I mess up. There will be times where I mess up. There are going to be times where I sin. There are going to be times where I fail. But the consistent practice of my life, true doctrine, leads to the consistent practice. And the consistent practice, you looked at this a couple weeks ago, four questions. Is it the consistent practice of my life to say yes to God? Is it the consistent practice of my life to say no to sin? Is it the consistent practice of my life to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit? And is it the consistent practice of my life to show love to the brothers and sisters in the faith? Okay? Is that consistent? Is that what you're doing on a consistent basis? And if it is, that comes from a genuine heart. There is a beautiful phrase that is so true. You can't out grace. Okay? You can mess up, and when you mess up, your heart, my heart, will sometimes accuse us. Okay? Sometimes the enemy of the brothers... The brethren, Satan will accuse. Why? Because he's the father of lies. He is the accuser of the brethren. And sometimes he'll accuse you again of things that you've already confessed. How many of you have ever asked for forgiveness for something that you did more than once? Okay, you confessed a sin and asked for forgiveness, and 10 years later, you went back and reconfessed it. Anybody? Okay, 20 years, 30 years, five days. Okay, and you know, honestly, every time we do that, it's because our enemy accuses us, and we go back, and, and when we reconfess a sin that we genuinely confess the first time, what happens is, honestly, we make God out to be a liar. Because the Word of God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. And so if you genuinely, to the best of your ability, repent and confess of your sin, you turn away from it and say, God, this is sin, I want to leave it in my life, and you walk away, doesn't mean that sometimes you don't go back to it, but you genuinely walked away from that sin, and you come up five, six, seven days later and confess that same sin, I promise you this is what God says. He says, what sin? I forgave that. It's done. And sometimes our heart will confuse us. But God is greater, John's words, God is greater than any heart. You can't out grace. What was Peter's greatest sin? Was it not the denial of his Lord and Savior? You know, he said, I'll never, I'll never deny you. I'll follow you to the grave. And Jesus said three times, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me. No, Lord, not me. I'll never deny you. Yeah, you will, three times. And he did. 
And the Bible says, go read Mark's account sometimes. Mark's account, the gospel is really written from the perspective of Peter. And, and in Mark's account, he tells the story of, of, of Peter's life and interaction three times. Third time, I, he denies him. He looks. He sees the Messiah's eyes looking at him. He's broken. He runs out. He's crushed. All those things happen. Jesus is resurrected. He's crucified, buried, resurrected on the third day. The women go to the tomb in Mark's account. They go to the tomb, find the resurrected Christ, and Jesus says, Go tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter. Do you get it? You're and Peter. I don't care what you've done. I don't care. God doesn't care. You can't out sin grace. You're and Peter. And he wants you to know that. And he wants you to know your forgiveness. He wants you to know it, it, you, you're there. You're part of it. You're forgiven. Peter gets restored. Turning your Bibles real quick to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 14. Acts 3, 14. Peter's preaching in Solomon's colonnade. He's in the temple. And this is what he says in verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Peter's preaching to the Sanhedrin and to the Pharisees. He's preaching to them. And look at what he says. Here's your sin. You denied the holy one. Really, Peter? How do you have a right to confront me? You denied the Holy One. Yeah. But Peter knew that his sin was forgiven and forgotten. See, the church today is anemic. And the church today is anemic because the church today is made up of a lot of people who have sinned. We've all committed sins. Whether good, little, white, gray, bad, abhorrent, you can't outsend grace. But we've committed sins, and what happens is our enemy accuses us. How can you speak about adultery in somebody else's life when you committed that sin? How can you speak about drug addiction in somebody else's life when you committed? How can you speak about cheating on your taxes into somebody else's life? Or how can you speak about raising kids that didn't follow the Lord when your own kids haven't followed? How can you speak and the enemy of the brethren comes and he accuses and he accuses and he accuses and I have to make the choice. Am I going to listen to the father of lies or am I going to listen to the cross? You can't out sin grace. And when God forgives it, it is done. As far as the east is from the west so far, have I removed your transgressions from you. How do we get to confront in love? Remember this whole chapter is about love. Faith is love. 
But I have the right to speak into the lives of others because my sin is forgiven and it's forgotten. Corrie ten Boom writes in her biography, this past January, January 27th, every year is the anniversary of the closing of Auschwitz, one of the worst concentration camps during the Holocaust, taking the lives of the Jewish nation and Christians. She writes in her memoirs, and this past August, or past January 27th, was the 70th anniversary of that. She writes in her biography about she and her sister Betsy arriving at Ravensbrück concentration camp during World War II. And they immediately, as two young girls, were stripped of all their dignity and everything that was human. They were given uh, these same garments to wear that everybody else wore. And she writes about the deplorable conditions. They literally were, were put into to the very depths of hell. They lived in, in bunks that were rotten and, and flea infested. They were so crowded that, that she slept with feet in her face and knees in her back. Raw sewage reeked through the place. Soiled clothing reeked through the place. I mean, it is, it is the, very, the very picture, the depiction of hell, if you could ever imagine it on earth. And Corey Tim Boom writes about that, that, that first few days when they were there and she and her older sister Betsy and she begins to cry out to Betsy, how? How are we going to get through this? How are we going to survive? And, and she thought that her older sister's response was strange because Betsy, in response to her question, how are we going to get through this, just began to say, show us how. Show us. Show us how. And she realized that Betsy wasn't responding to her. Betsy was praying. And, and she writes these words about Betsy's life and Betsy's witness. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to vanish for Betsy. Betsy had gotten to the point where she understood what the apostle meant when he wrote, pray without ceasing. Betsy's whole life was prayer. And, and her answer to her sister wasn't an answer. It was a prayer request. Show us, Lord. Show us how. How do you love that person, that neighbor that's unlovable? I don't know. But the Lord does. Will you begin to pray? Show me. Show me how. How do you reconcile that marriage that's on the brink? I don't know. I can give you some biblical principles, but I tell you the one that's got the answers, and will you begin to pray? Show us. Show us how. How do you get through your financial struggles? Well, you can do it one of two ways, the world's way or God's way. Will you begin to pray? Show us. Show us how. Will we begin to understand the truth? of what it means to live life continually in the spirit of prayer. Faith is love. I'm not saved by the things that I do. I'm saved by grace. But grace shows itself because true faith is about relationships.